The swamp without a still is just a tent. A martini without olives doesn't quite make it. And Mash Minute is intended for mature audiences. Put on your headphones. Listen for the tone of your favorite podcast, Mash Minute. Well, it's a minute-by-minute detailed analysis. Of the movie without which the series wouldn't exist. Megan and Tierney, and guest will make three. Goddamn Army, MASH Minute. Go for it. Welcome to MASH Minute, where we analyze the Robert Altman 1970 film, not the television show, one minute at a time. I'm your host, Megan Coleman. I'm not committing to one minute of a sitcom at a time, Tierney Steele. <laughs> and I'm glad my counsel has been followed to preserve the sanity of our two hosts. I'm Father David Mowry, <laughs> chaplain to the Movies by Minutes community. <laughs> Among other dioceses. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm well, glad, glad to be back. I'm, you've earned it. I can't believe I sent this movie to it. Anyway. Um... <laughs> I'm just going to feel icky about that while we discuss Minute 19, which starts with a voiceover of Radar. He explains the deluge of casualties they're having over images of a busy pre-op tent. And it ends with Father Mulcahy giving last rites in the OR. So we've reached the... I tried when I was breaking things up to kind of make little scenes for everyone so mm-hmm. that you don't have too many awkward minute ends, which sometimes this movie helped me with greatly and sometimes not as much. Um, this one works pretty well. Last minute, we had Duke and Hawkeye barging into Blake's office and demanding getting Burns out of their tent. Mm-hmm. And also just get us a special surgeon while you're at it. <laughs> and this is a nice little Altman moment here where Radar is continuing to explain what's happening while we kind of see the start of it. My first note is talking about the long hours of operating they would put in at MASH units, which I'll talk about more when Megan gets back, but I just reread an article and was having the little, like, through the worst of it chuckle of a mom who's like, the definition of torture and, like, why this applies to sleep. She's like, so literally my child is torturing me. Like, according to the Geneva Convention, <laughs> I am being tortured. Uh, I, I think there might be a, a deficiency of m- <laughs> m- malicious intention there. The child <laughs> yeah. isn't doing so purposefully to torture. But uh, there are definite similarities in the circumstances, to be sure. <laughs> it was the other night my kid woke up at 2 in the morning. And he wasn't... Like, he, he cried when he woke up, but he very quickly was like, oh, I'm fine. But then he didn't go back to sleep. And I knew this because we turned on the monitor and he was sitting up in his crib uh-huh. going <laughs> with his lips and his finger. Good. It's like, one of us has to go convince him to go back to sleep. Nah, leave him. He'll get tired eventually. <laughs> Let him experience a little bit of boredom. It's good for him. <laughs> it's so funny. I was just like, is he really doing that? Yes, yes, he is. <laughs> so you have a video monitor set up in, in your kid's room? Yeah, we have, um, it's usually just on the audio overnight because mm-hmm. the light bothers me. But oh, sure. it's, it's nice to just be able to like click it on and there it is. So you can kind of triage <laughs> Right. if you actually need to get up or if this will be solved quickly. <laughs> Hello, sorry Hi, about Megan. that. 
we were we were talking about uh, how <laughs> lack of sleep is considered a form of torture, and all mo- mothers know this, or all new parents know this. Uh, and if you didn't, you learned it pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, because so how, how bad was the emergency on a scale of one to Chernobyl? Um, I would say eight. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. Um, I will maybe a seven. Maybe a seven. Just no, no. Go with your gut. A. Yeah. We've had wor- we've had worse. Um, <laughs> my husband to say, but uh, she's yeah, the poor little thing. She Aww. she was doing okay. How are the uppers? Um, not I'm, drugs, teeth. Yes, yes. Let's yeah, let's clarify that. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. I, I am was, not I was giving... calling uh, child services. Let me. Uh, just, like, <laughs> no, no, false alarm. Everything, everything's fine. Everything's right. Her, her. No, sorry um, to bother you. I, I have right, a feeling they're gonna pop up like literally pop and mm-hmm. cut in the next week or so i just yeah uh, just based on what she did last time and yeah how she's feeling and acting yeah. though this so time she's she also feels. trying to oh. stand she will stand uh, now not quite on her own but she'll hold on to something and now she's oh, yeah, moving yeah. her feet like she's marching in ah! place so she's totally oh i also do a video tyranny she is just yes. oh my gosh <laughs> And Patrick still can't stand on his own for for like a, a millisecond. He can, but then he yeah. has something. No, everyone tells me that they think she'll be walking before what? And I'm like fabulous. <laughs> all the all the baby proofing will continue. <laughs> Please stay away from my seltzer water. Okay. Oh no, that can't be on the ground anymore. All right, bottom shelf. You are not on anymore. Okay. Nope. Nope. No bottom shelf for anything but toys. Pretty much. Our books. I have books. Her books. Yeah. But yeah. yeah so I when was, she I eats saying... them, it's okay. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to read Pooh? Yes, I'll eat Pooh. Okay, cool. All right. Context is king. Again, Winnie, not... Winnie the Pooh. I'm sorry. It's, it's, okay. that, it's that slightly sleep deprived. Yeah, child services? Yeah, I know I hung up earlier, but this time I really am concerned. This <laughs> I'm really concerned. Um, um, so... The show got into this several times of the just truly ridiculous because when once the casualties start coming, they just keep coming. They don't stop. Can't Wait, stop, what? won't stop. How many songs can we <laughs> I know, segue into? Like, not quite. Well, they certainly and... don't stop. You've had the experience of the rush, though. I mean, you have the, the crappy high school job. You're working at you know your local fast food joint or what have you, and you're just constantly slammed. For an entire hour and you think surely there are no more people left in the world and then <laughs> 10 more walk in the door that's my and, entire experience working at walmart <laughs> yes now imagine doing that for 72 hours oh please no oh please no that's a nightmare so i not understand that hawkeye and duke have already been working a 12-hour shift and now at the end of their shift they decided to go and talk to the boss before they just collapse into their tent i don't yeah i think they've had a bit of a lull because Mm. we so we met them they got to the mash they had a meal they went to their tent and then there was a cut to the operating room so while it's not immediate as some people did there are vets who said like i walked straight off the helicopter into an operating room (laughs) like that's how crazy it was There, there was it was pretty quick and they've only been here a week, but I, I get the idea that, like, they had busy but not crazy, and finally there was a lull, and just kidding, lull's over. <laughs> so I think they've had 
a day, maybe two, of just standard routine care. Mm. And this actually probably is their first deluge of casualties. This probably, uh, what we saw earlier, while certainly were casualties, while certainly was busy, wasn't crazy. You know, that's the 12-hour days. Um, And they would have been 12-hour shifts. There would have been a day shift and a night shift, 12 hours. There would have been a a head doctor, head nurse on each one. And... The idea was it was supposed to be 12 hours on, 12 hours off. Mm-hmm. But when people keep coming through the door, that doesn't happen. You would sn- And also, even if you got that, you're snatching naps where you can. I oh, mean, yeah. you're not getting 12 hours sleep. You're, you're not getting a full night's sleep doing no. this. But you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. And that's why we get in the show, they have you know, radar holding sandwiches for them to eat while at an operating table, the uh, orange juice with straws so that they can sip it Mm -hmm. around the mask. Um, I'm trying to think of what other examples we get. But yeah, this is, this is pretty gnarly and this is the pre-op, so. (laughs) Well, you uh... see, uh, yeah, you get to see a little hint of the skill level of these guys as they come in, or at least for Hawkeye, because as they're going through the pre-op board, Hawkeye at least seems to be doing some kind of triage. He's mm-hmm. checking in with the the other doctors who are caring for folks. He's doing some cursory examinations on soldiers' bodies, just trying to get a handle on, okay, who are the worst cases? What do we need to prioritize? So it's refreshing to see that, that yes, these are jokesters and pranksters and they're cut-ups, but they're also doctors. They're also focused on the task at hand, which is trying to save lives. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I, I want to give a quick shout out to, um, because that is Leslie that's supporting the soldier that gets up to walk, right? The blonde nurse. I'm pretty sure it's her. And if it, you know, shout out to Leslie. They're finally letting her do her job skills and <laughs> do her job. And Well, she was doing her job in the OR, but she was being objectified at the same time. Oh, no, I think I, I think it's Leslie. Yeah, I'd like to so, think it so is, So now too. we've finally gotten Nurse Leslie <laughs> proper. <laughs> not just Secretary Leslie. Yeah, not gossiping with her friends, not being hit on. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's and, her. I mean, that's some hardcore. You know, she's much smaller than that guy, so... <laughs> She's a tough cookie. Well, you think they'd have to be to be in a mass unit, right? Because I'm sure if you don't, if you can't really cut it, at some point I would think they would just ship you out. Oh yeah, I'm sure there were tons of people who must have washed out. Well, that's the the only actually affecting part of Pearl Harbor, isn't it? No, I'm thinking of atonement. Never mind. Although I think Pearl Harbor has one where you see the <laughs> nurse who's been so full of herself this whole time and like, no, I'm fine. This is great. And then the first actual fresh from the battlefield casualties coming in and you see her crying in a corner until she can like pull herself together. Not that I always cry at that. Or you have So people... Blake, Blake's an effectual. <laughs> Sorry. No, what I was reminded of, what well, it was you're talking about people washing out, I reminded of the scene from Gone with the Wind when Scarlet runs out of mm-hmm. the ward there cuz she just she can't handle all the the oh, death and right. decay and she just bolts for it because she's never had to deal with something as real as that in her life. And it's not it's for fair. everyone. How many people have? Right. I mean there it's this crazy thing of you don't know until it's in front of you how you'll react. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't matter how much I read, it's still different. <laughs> 
Because I imagine the problem is just the scope of the thing, the scale. I mean, yeah, you can go through all the medical training and become, in a sense, desensitized to, to blood and to gore and what have you. But to have this much to handle is overwhelming. And knowing that there are some soldiers you are not going to save. Just some soldiers who are just, they come in and they are too far gone and all, and you can't even make them comfortable because you have limited supplies. You got, you got to have nerves of steel. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure she got her due, especially since I never noticed that until doing this minute by minute. So that was a nice touch, especially since her boyfriend is folding like a deck of cards. (laughs) (laughs) Giving Hawkeye and Duke everything that they want. In less than two minutes. And I love Donald Sutherland singing song, The Chess Cutter. That's a, that's a great read of that line. Oh. It sums up so much of his character. <laughs> but even, he's just been told that he has to go back to the operating ward. But in the face of that, in the very in the teeth of the horror he's about to go back into, he said, oh, then what about the chess cutter? <laughs> and you know what? For all that I'm mocking him, I will give it to this of... We never get the idea that Blake is a bad guy or a heartless guy. Because that little, no. I'll try, damn it, that's all. You know, you can't ask any more than that of me. Man, he is. He, yeah. And, you know, hey, spoiler alert, he's going to succeed. So that's pretty impressive. I just, I think we're so used to thinking of him as ridiculous because he gets walked all over. But that is a moment where you see that Blake really does really cares he does well he he wants he wants his surgical team to succeed mm-hmm. because all these people here are, are dedicated to something that's bigger than themselves they're there to save the lives of these men who by and large have been drafted into this war and so none of them are really there by choice so they have to make the best of the situation so he's being a good leader he's being a good commanding officer okay my team's telling mm-hmm. me that we need another resource i'm going to do my best to get it for him yeah. And he's he's a surgeon, too, so I'm right. sure he understands, you know, mm-hmm. he sees the, the use of that. Yeah. Speaking of surgeons, why is Ugly John doing an abdominal surgery? <laughs> he's an anesthesiologist. They're slammed. Yeah. They're, just, yeah. they're absolutely jammed with people. And I so mean, sometimes, you, uh, look, you can, the abdominal, this, this is easy. You can handle this. I mean, in theory, he went to medical school, too, right? I mean... Well, yeah. So you'd think, in theory, he might know enough basics to be like, don't let that bleed anymore, or... Well, yeah, I mean, it definitely... <laughs> if, 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 if this was... Very if basic, this was like, you could... If this was triage, if this was, you know, while he's coming in. But, yeah, Ugly John's line is, uh, my abdominal surgery was going fine. It was the head wound that did him in. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I've had anesthesia, and while I have trusted everyone who has ever given it to me, I never got the impression that they had the training for that. Who knows? You're in a field hospital. You just, you gotta make chicken salad out of chicken. Well, you know. And, (laughs) you know, Ugly John, yeah, you're a doctor. Sew this guy up. It doesn't have to be pretty. It just has to get done. Which may explain yeah. why yeah. the head wound did him in, because he wasn't really aware of everything that was happening. <laughs> Everything's happening. Mm. Why am I losing him? I don't know why I'm losing him. I lost him. Oh, there's a bullet in his brain. Oh. <laughs> oh. Shucks. The deleted scene that was. <laughs> and, then, and then this segues beautifully into 
my v- vague recollections from RCIA because I didn't do CCD. I converted when I was 25, 26, something like that. So because last rites doesn't mean what a lot of people, it's not an anointing of the dead. It, so is this soldier? If Okay, so let's talk right. about extreme unction. All right, so. Yeah, because, because all right, so let me tell you how I got there. Because what Ugly John says, I get the impression that this soldier is dead on the table. And also, don't they need that table? Like, wouldn't they wheel him? I, I mean, this sounds really harsh, but like, wouldn't you wheel him off to the side? Anyway, okay, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. But- <laughs> so let's so let's let's talk about this. So I've I have I have many notes about this. So uh, this this film ostensibly takes place during the Korean War, even though it's really about the Vietnam War. But anyway, wink, uh, wink. It takes place during the during the Korean War. So that means uh, Father Mulcahy here is using the extraordinary form of the sacraments, at least what we would consider the extraordinary form now. The the rituals right. of the sacraments that would have been used before the reforms of the Second Vatican Council, which started in uh, 1965. So in the in the understanding of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick in the 1950s, uh, it was not called the anointing of the sick, but it was called the last anointing, which we render also as extreme unction, which comes from the Latin extremis unctionis, the, the last anointing, the anointing in the extreme at the end of one's life. So you would only have this sacrament celebrated when the person was at the point of death. In the in after the Second Vatican Council, there was a reform around the understanding of the anointing of the sick, where it's used at various stages when it is needed, when a grace is needed for a person going into surgery for someone who's facing a serious health crisis. It's also used for someone who is at the point of death, certainly. But in especially in a field hospital in the Korean War in the 1950s, Father Mulcahy would have been. Uh, giving the sacrament to those who are dying or what we would consider medically dead. Now, why would he be doing this to someone who is medically dead? So there's a difference between medically dead and dead dead, you know? Where <laughs> I want to quote the Princess Bride so badly. <laughs> yeah, so it, this, this person on the table is definitely mostly dead. Now, the question is just how alive is he still? So in the Catholic understanding of the human person, the human person uh, is composed of both a body and a soul. And the person is the total of those two things together. A person is a body-soul. It is only after the soul leaves the body which is not the best way to put it, but anyway, I, I, get, I don't want to get into <laughs> theological weeds here. When the soul leaves the body, that's when death occurs. In the theological understanding of death, in the Catholic tradition, death means the separation of the body and the soul, these two principles that make up the human person. The Catholic Church has never defined when exactly the soul leaves the body. Certainly, we can tell that when the body begins to decay, when there is no longer an active principle keeping the body alive, we can say for sure, okay, the soul is gone, this person is dead. In the immediate moments after brain death, medical death, heart stopping, whatever you want to call it, we don't know what happens because we're dealing with something spiritual and supernatural. And so there's nothing visible that we can rely on that points empirically to whether the soul has left the body or not. So in these cases, the church basically says, better safe than sorry. Let's Mm. anoint this person who has just died in case the soul still remains and they are not yet fully dead. Because even in extreme unction, even in this case of dealing with death, the church wants to make 
the sacramental grace as available as possible. So the idea behind the sacrament of the anointing of the sick comes from, I could go on a whole lecture to stop me if I'm just <laughs> overwhelming the pockets because I have lots of notes. Let me let me just leave it there for now. Yeah. So that that's why Father Mulcahy will be coming okay. in to anoint him now. Because that's, I remember doing an entire evening was Last rites aren't called that. That's not what this like. It, it is, but it isn't. Right. So uh, it's in, confession, anointing the sick, and final communion. <laughs> correct. Those are the last rites, plural. Anointing is one of those rites. Yeah. Sorry, Megan. We're just nerding out over no, here. No, it's totally fine. You know what? I have my little. I was looking up to see if it's Saint Christopher on the front because it's on his shoulders, but it's on the back. It's one of my first flea market finds I ever had. <laughs> and it says, I am a Catholic in case of an accident, kindly notify a priest. Mm-hmm. I have and one of those from, medals. I'm wearing yeah, it right yeah. now. I'm a Catholic. Yeah. Please call a priest. Uh, and then my priest friends and I joke that we all say, I'm a priest. Please call my mother. Uh, <laughs> no, that's the one. That's the medal we should wear. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Father Mulcahy's come in. He he's carrying begins. the entire mass kit with him, which he's, he's got the whole case with him. And all <laughs> he needs is his oil stock, which has the blessed oil used for the anointing of the sick or uh, extreme unction in this case. And, you know, it's the size of your thumb, basically. So why he has the whole case with him, I don't know. Surely he's been running stole. around like a madman. <laughs> well, he has a stole. All right. So the stole and the oil stock in Two that great things. big case. Okay. All right. <laughs> that, that clears it all up. I have no more complaints. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, I should have looked at like what's standard issue oh, for, for a military a... priest. Yeah, because you're right. It's his little. It's his doctor's bag, but it's mm-hmm. but it's his priest bag. Yeah. What what I imagine Father Mulcahy has. He he has uh, a set of some. Well, we know from later on he has his cassock and surplice with him. He has a mass kit, no doubt, which has a chalice, a paten, probably the altar cards needed to celebrate mm-hmm. mass according to the the Tridentine form. He has his oil stock. He has his stole, and no, it's double-sided for both purple and white. Purple for confession and anointing of the sick, because purple is the color of uh, penitence, and anointing of the sick is a sacrament that removes sins, and then white for blessings. Then he probably also has a little book called a Collectio Rituum. So that's a little, it's kind of like a Vada Mecum, a little travel book that a priest would have that has all the essential sacramental rituals, blessing prayers, and mm-hmm. funeral prayers as well that you would just need in an emergency. We're going to see him using that later. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they, they had a real one on set because when we see him using it later, uh, Renee... I wish Heidi was still on this show. Abergenois, <laughs> um, however you pronounce his last name. He was flipping through it, and he's like, hey, I found this weird blessing. <laughs> Let's use this. <laughs> I didn't even think of that, because I was like, of course he has his little bag. That's where he keeps his stuff. Right. <laughs> You're right. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a counter he could have left that on. No one's going to steal it. <laughs> Although well, you never know. I, well, he, I'm, In I'm the chaos sure. of the ER, you never yeah. know. Right? Well, Father Mulcahy, he strikes me as he's a good priest. He shows up when he's needed. I'm sure he just grabbed the yeah. case because it had everything in it. He didn't have time even to take the oil out of it. He just wanted to get over to the operating room as quickly as possible because he knows this whole yeah. slew of wounded and near dead have come in, and he's mm-hmm. going to be busy. He's a, he's a good priest. He is. <laughs> 
As as good as a movie from 1970 can make a priest. Well, yeah, I, I'm I'm sure <laughs> there were many points in this movie where you're like, uh, I had a lot of fun picking out which scene to uh, involve you in. But yeah, I think he's he's doing his best. This is he's clearly not a career military chaplain, so he's yeah doing his best. Mm-hmm. And he's doing well here. We get the... So Duke is operating at the next table, and Dish was assisting him. She gets called away, and that's when he first tries to capture Father Mulcahy's attention, but he goes back to what he's doing. Using a not-at-all-problematic nickname. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well... I actually... It was a note for next minute, but I'll, I'll just say here, like... I It... It never occurred to me, growing up in Waspy, Connecticut, that that mm-hmm. was a thing because I only ever heard it on the on Mash, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, oh, when I realized, like, hmm, that's, that's one of those words you don't nickname. say out loud. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's not you know. That's not like Ugly John over there. <laughs> not a cool nickname like Hawkeye. No, no, no you're not gonna, you're not gonna name your dog that in in tribute. No. And so it kills me <laughs> that he introduces himself using yes. Dago Red. <laughs> well, Father. I, I was obsessed with, when we had that minute. I could not get over. It. I want to know how he got this nickname because I kind of always assumed that the guys gave it to him, but he has it already when they arrive at the mash. He introduces himself that way. But look at this man. He did not name himself that. No, 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 no. Someone someone put this name upon him and he went with it. I I can understand why he would hang on to it because I I understand misguided pastoral sentiments. He (laughs) held on to it because he thought, oh, this is going to help me be more relatable to the doctors. I'm going to come off as one of the guys, more trustworthy. They're going to think that I'm more hip, more with it because I've got this nickname. And yeah, it's a little edgy, but that's okay because, you know, this is a rough and tumble place. You know, it's (laughs) kind of like... um, he strikes me as kind of being like Emmett from the Lego movie, where he's, he's taking on bad ideas in total innocence because he thinks it's, oh, it's just what's going to make everyone else get along. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's it's a very weird, unfortunate thing. And they even do it in the show. They aired that on the TV. So, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We can all agree it is unfortunate. It's unfortunate. It, it is, and it and it's so just part of the fabric of the show. Like I said, it never yeah. occurred to me that that was like a thing. <laughs> Which I I am raising my hand in my lucky privileged little life over here. But yeah, it's this was my introduction. I'm just like yeah, you know. Like Father Mulcahy's nickname. Oh, never mind. And the Washington football team needs to change its name. That would be nice. That may or may not happen. I'm doing the little, like, smile with my my hands under my chin. This movie's problematic. (laughs) Just a little. Um, (laughs) Well, the the concerns that we have now, the the ideas about 
c- civility and respect for other people's ethnic backgrounds, those were not issues, those were not concerns in the 1950s, 60s, and going even farther back than that. It just was accepted that these kinds of nicknames and uh, yeah. racial epithets yeah. and such things were commonplace and everyone had one unless you were a wasp but even a wasp <laughs> is still kind of a racial yep. epithet yep yep um, yeah well and and when he introduces himself that way you know hawkeye laughs they're getting like oh like a joke uh-huh. a nickname mm-hmm. <laughs> well i guess we'll, we'll just run long on this one because so again, like Lena, Lena Mahanovich, and so do priests like have favorite fictional priests? You must, right? <laughs> well, I, I must say that um, I am always a fan whenever a priest shows up in a piece of fiction because it's uh, my chance to put on my theological critique hat and point out everything <laughs> that they're doing wrong. Now, truth be told, I, I didn't have that chance with Father Mulcahy. He operates very well as a fictional priest. So there's someone who knows something about how priests would uh, maneuver through this kind of army chaplaincy space. In terms of, boy, in terms of my favorite priest, um, I would have to say, oh gosh, now now I'm getting put on the spot because I can't remember his name. Uh, let us edit. You can out. leave it as a cliffhanger for tomorrow. Oh. oh. Okay, so, all right, so let's put, let's put in the edit here. I can't remember his name today, but tomorrow I might be able to remember the name of my favorite priest. You'll just have to come back and find out. Dun, dun, dun. I love it. I don't want an outro. <laughs> you probably want an outro. You're the host. Don't let me take over. I know, uh, no. I, well, have you ever heard of the Chris Gethard show? No. No. It was a public access show it and was. it was on True TV. But it's 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 a comedy show. I'll I'll put a link and I'll explain it. But he has on uh Jace uh is it Jay um Rafi from the league and I can picture the other guy but I'm blanking on his name. I'll I'll send you a picture. And they essentially took it over cuz it's a live kind of talk show and comedy show amongst friends and they they literally took it over <laughs> like they hijacked his television show live and it was one of the funniest things i've ever seen but anyway um huh. that is a tangent that is not saying come back tomorrow and we'll talk more about mash <laughs> megan do we need to plug anything i know i mentioned last minute that we're on facebook we are also we're on the instagram at mash oh, minute the gram we're on the gram the IG. <laughs> as We're I always so young and hip. As I as I always shorten it. Oh yeah, find us yeah. on IG because I'm too lazy to spell out the whole word. So yeah, if you're as young and hip and cool as Megan and I, with our pog <laughs> shingler club, with our pog, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Mash Minute, all one word. <laughs> So